This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You probably laugh. Hopefully, you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. I talk about my dog sometimes. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut. Hey everybody, it's your girl Jessie Mae. This is the Sharp Tongue Podcast. What a week! What a month! What a year! I know it sounds like I am reciting the Friends theme song. I am, but it's a totally different vibe. <laughs> but I'm here to remind you that positivity is key, mental health is key, and it's all good. Even when it feels like it's bad, it's all good. And I couldn't think of anybody better to have on to discuss life and love and the pursuit of happiness and mental health than none other than the wonderful Mr. Dr. Donahue. Mr. Doctor. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Mr. Doctor. I'll take it. Yeah, you're Mr. Doctor. That's how I'm going to refer to you from now on. Great. <laughs> That's okay. You are, you are forever frozen in my mind from when you were on my show and did the infamous side profile drink swig. <laughs> yeah, it was. I can't watch that. It was like, uh, I think it was 5 p.m. <laughs> Here come the defenses. <laughs> Invite Jesse May on to talk about interesting, you know, important topics. She decides to get drunk on air live. It's cool. It's what you do. <laughs> Everyone's like, what have you been doing in quarantine? I'm like, ah, oh, I have a day tequila. <laughs> you know, and the more, as each day progresses, I'm like, you know, I think I'm handling it just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're too numbed out to feel the full brunt of what's happening, right? It is, you know, I, I wonder if I am, if, if being an eternal optimist is a dangerous thing or if there's ways to use it in times like now that we're living through where people are literally burning stores. Would you really say that about yourself? You think you're an internal optimist? I do, especially in, in how I create and my motivation for creating, um, the goal is is to elicit that. And I do feel, for the most part, a very, I'm fortunate to feel like I'm a very balanced person, but that doesn't come without implementing and being uh, consistent with certain tools and devices that I use. What about you? Um, oh, man, there's so much just came off me when you just said what you said. Because to go. Our, our work is so different, but has such a similarity in that, like, we're both um, in in the media of sorts, and I feel like and and correct me, but I feel like your work carries more weight in being maybe positive or funny or humorous, and that's got to be exhausting. <laughs> like where you're at, where I think for me doing mental health work or media that's very social commentary based or social justice, like I'm allowed to be angry and sad. I feel like that wouldn't come off as well if your podcasts or your you know sh- stuff you're always like angry and sad. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a weird balance. Um, on the same breath, in the same breath, I wonder also if you're being like, you know, funny and goofy because you also have those sides because you're a human being. If you're seen as 
less professional. It's such an interesting dynamic because I'm definitely, I'm feeling that now. Like uh, it's such a weird, and you're a good person to um, defer with this. It's such a weird balance because I'm a human. I react to what's going on. I feel things. And sometimes it's hard to say something, especially on social media, that is sincere without people being like, and not that I really, I I don't really read too much into comments, but it's, it's a tough balance. Like, I don't know how to approach it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the expectation will be different based on who's saying what they're saying. Like, I think the bar is very high for me because the kind of work I do, people expect me to never make a mistake or never to fail. And that's a removal of the humanity piece you talked about earlier, which is like, yeah, I'm a total person. So sometimes I'm funny. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I'm a little edgy. Sometimes I'm figuring myself out. But in the mental health world, uh, like a lot of professions that are quote unquote professionalized, there's an expectation that if you don't look, talk and act a certain way that you're not competent and you're not serious. And I think that that's done us all a disservice. So to pull in together everything you said, like, I hate, I hate false positivity. Like, yeah, be yourself. Sometimes everything sucks. And if something sucks, let it suck. It sucks. There's not always a bright side. And I think that that's very abusive to tell people like, oh, it'll be fine or you'll get over it or, or look at the bright side. Like, fuck that. Sometimes things are just really bad. And then I think as like a mental health professional, I'm not, a, I'm not supposed to, in theory, to have tattoos or to talk about sexuality or right. be a person. And that's exhausting. And so I feel like I've made that my side mission is to always normalize just being real. Yeah, you definitely do that. It's such a strong uh, aspect to everything about your your videos, your output, whatever you're putting out, it's so authentically you. And the other thing that I love about your approach to your work is that you don't make excuses, that you are, in my mind, you're very progressive, especially for all the accolades that you have. Like you are a professional, you are a doctor, you went to school, you did the work, and obviously you're sitting in front of a shitload of books that don't look brand new. So it's like, <laughs> I've read them all. I mean, let's just do like a little bit. Of, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, it's quite an extensive library. Wow. What is, um, <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love that. I have like, I, I have to show you my books. I can't wait. It's like three of them just sitting on the corner. <laughs> Like, that's my favorite. If I go to someone's home and they're like, oh, I read. I'm like, great. What are you reading? They pull out like two. There it is. And there it is. Farts in the wild. Old farts. There's a theme here. What is this? And uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, no. I'm sorry. The There's all The trilogy. Ah, yeah. Farting around the world. Yeah. <laughs> You've got like sex at dawn and I've got farts at noon. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? There's a place for both of us. You know what I mean? There's a place for us both. So we're good. I do I do enjoy reading. It's one of my more favorite pastimes. I think as time goes on and people uh, have slowed down and have taken time, hopefully, to be their more authentic selves like I have, um, people are discovering things about themselves and hopefully digging into the truth a little bit. And I realize... I go way too fast. I've been going like this, just running, running, running. And in the quarantine, I actually have been thriving in because of it's, it's slown me down. It's yeah. take, it's taking me off that, that, uh, what do they call that? The, the rat race. But are you able to tolerate that? Are you able to find the beauty and the joy of, of stillness? I try. Yeah. That's the work. It is that is the work because the second it starts to get still is where this thing starts to come in and it's like, wait, why are you still? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You're not succeeding enough. Yeah, that's what it is. And that comes up for me. So I'm like a good American and I think it's all about being productive and I need to be a man, which means I need to be earning things and I need to be able to create a right kind of family. And I have to be like, work, 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 work. And that's not only is that not real or honest or healthy mentally, that's horrible. And so, yeah, that's what a lot of people in my practice, because I'm still doing telemedicine. And a lot of people are saying that where they're used to going to the gym, seeing friends, going hiking every morning, going to the office, and now they have just stillness and space and silence for themselves. And a lot of clients I'm working with are saying, I don't even have hobbies. I'm realizing- Oh my God. Yeah. 
that that hit me hard, man. Because so many people are just fucking running. They're running themselves so exhaustively in in the pursuit of what? Like, what do you find? What do you find for you? has helped you in moments of stillness or to embrace stillness. Understanding how radical and revolutionary stillness and silence and rest actually is that not only is it a revolutionary activistic move in our current culture to say, I'm going to lay here for three hours and do nothing. And I'm going to feel good about it. Like, <laughs> in our culture and to not call it lazy <laughs> or a guilty pleasure but you're like i watched that show for the seventh time three times in a row you know like and that's what i want people to know that we've set up our world in a way where self-care is so radical and revolutionary where you're saying these activities that have no meaning other than giving me pleasure and joy are as meaningful and as worthy as going to the gym going to the office or whatever these productivity-based goals are and that we're burning ourselves out for no reason and that's why i'm telling people glorify and value your downtime and don't feel bad about eating your emotions. Why are we not allowed to put on a pound or two? Why are we not allowed to eat ice cream? Fuck that. I have a FUPA now. Good. I've been eating. I've been, I had three pizzas last for? week. No, that, that FUPA, as you, rub, <laughs> as you rub that FUPA with your hands, I want you to lovingly acknowledge that it also symbolizes rest and care and fun. And that it was in service of that Saturday night where you sat on God knows what app talking to God knows who about God knows what, but you're glad you did. And it was fun. And you ate that pizza and it, it memorializes that. You know what I mean? I think that's such a great um, approach to life is to glorify the downtime. I've never heard that because like you say, you know, being a good American, we work so hard. What, what are things that you find in your practice that people along those lines have struggled with the most? Like what's, what's one of the most common things that people seem to have issues with that you find this, this, this word that we throw around that is such a misunderstood cliche of work life balance. Fuck. You got to find the balance in life. Really? Please tell me one domain of life that has balance because work life. We never do. We will never be working 40 hours and 40 hours of fun and real housewives. That no. will never happen. So what area actually has balance. So we have this bullshit idea, which is very shaming actually and anxiety inducing. It doesn't really inspire people because in service of this balance, we still try to maintain our worth tied to all of our work and productivity while also squeezing in anxiously more depleting <laughs> things. Because what people wind up doing is they wind up doing more depleting based things where no self-care and balance does not mean going to the gym. That's more exhaustion and stress. It literally means pleasure and fun and doing nothing. And that's so hard for us. So we're pleasure phobic in our culture. We really wow. like one of the things I said this in my book, I think sex outside the lines. One of the things I say all the time is why is it okay for us to spend the weekend working or to miss someone's recital or a child's soccer game? Cause they had to work. We all get it. We're like, yeah, of course, man work. But if someone was like, I can't go to your wedding or your recital or my son's whatever, cause I'm going to stay home and masturbate or eat some food or relax. We lose our shit. And my point is just that like we're pleasure phobic. We over prioritize and glorify work and it's burning us out. It's that's, that's interesting. Um, I had a, a similar situation uh, surrounding all of what you're talking about. Um, where the, the, the struggle to maybe the, the, the shame around wanting time for yourself, the struggle in finding conversations um, that are readily available to you about grief and dealing with grief and also the struggle to show up for people. Um, I, I had lost my dad a couple years ago to Alzheimer's and one of my friends invited me to her wedding and I was all gung ho to go. And the night before I was just envisioning her wedding and realizing, Oh my God, my, I, I, I don't know if I can do this because I don't, I'm not going to have, someone to walk me down the aisle. Like, I don't know how I'm, I know how I'm going to react to this if I go. And so I struggled with being able to be honest about my emotions behind not being able to show up. And I felt guilt about not being able to show up. So I just didn't show up. I sent her a message 
I sent her a message saying I wasn't going to be there, but it was like very close to her wedding day. So, so much around that was such a, it held so many core issues for me and it made me realize so much about how I was living and, and not really, I wasn't even comfortable giving myself the care I needed. Okay, because here's why. Because you're bringing in another thread that really gets me, which is we don't value mental health struggles. If you said to that friend or all your friends, yo, my leg fell off. I can't get the leg. <laughs> They're all going to be like, oh my God, of course, stay home and get that leg handled. If you're like, my <laughs> fell out of its socket, we're like, yeah, we get it, girl. But you say something mental health-based, like I'm very depressed today. I'm struggling to get out of bed or I'm struggling with grief and loss around my dad's loss. And your wedding actually triggers that profoundly for me. And I'm feeling dysregulated. I'm sorry, I can't attend. We don't know how to honor and hold space for mental health issues. You can't, most people cannot call their boss saying, I can't come in today, I'm really depressed. They're like, pull together and get to work. But again, if you said like my leg fell off, they'd be like, oh, stay home, physical ailment. We get it. We need to center mental health care and self-care more. And also your friend needs to remember that just because it's her most important day that year, that doesn't mean it's yours. And that doesn't mean that you still don't have a life in motion on that day. How did your friend respond? Unfollowed me on everything. And yeah hasn't really talked to me. I sent her a handwritten letter too. Your friend was narcissistic, self-centered, never said, I wonder what's going on in Jesse's life. Your friend also failed you in that what I want to come out of all that's happening in our world right now is a healing recon reco reconcil reconciliatory. Recon uh, I'm making, that I'm sounds, I think that's right. Reconciliatory. I want us to be rooted in that where if someone harms us, I want us to say, Kyo, can we talk it out? Because Jesse, you've been my best friend now. This is your friend speaking for five years. And clearly our friendship is far bigger than me being disappointed by you because you're going to disappoint me another 100 times. Why? Because you're a fucking human. Right. Let down, we talk about it and I hold space for your experience. And then you would have said, listen, this is what was going through. What This is what was happening for me for that day. And your friend might've said, I agree or I don't agree, but that's okay. I can still have you in my life. And you would have worked through it, but instead we want to punish. We want to cut them out. And basically we want to vote everyone off the planet. Yeah. The can it's like canceling people. That's exactly what's, that's the problem in cancel culture. Like I'm all about some of it. It educates, it helps people learn, but we have to be willing to do the second piece, which is have the conversation and help people be better. And your friend really passed on that and was very self-centered, man. It's a wedding. Calm down, yo. <laughs> Like, right? There's more divorces. <laughs> Invite me to your, I'll show up to your divorce party. <laughs> like uh, people think I hate weddings and marriage. I don't. I just think that we over dramatize what this expensive costume party is really about. <laughs> other human beings really accountable to making it the most important thing to them as well. And it's very expensive and you don't pay attention to other people's finances, what's going on in their life. Like we all need to calm down. Like you said, it actually has, statistically speaking, it's most likely going to fail, statistically speaking. Right. And failure is a part of success. So in, in a way, your divorce is the most successful part of your marriage. <laughs> that's why I love you. That's the hashtag from this whole podcast is like, that's the success. I'm proud of you. <laughs> you got out of that. <laughs> but you got to get into it to get out of it to be successful. So go on. Right. You tried. Like, I'm so with you. I don't understand why we don't have bigger, like, celebrations of acknowledging the failure. You know, there's there's also so much shame in divorce. And when p any one of my friends have come to me, and um, I know we're, like, bleeding in and out of different topics, but I, so many friends have come up to me, and when they say I got divorced, I'm like, congratulations. Like that's, that's self-care. Uh, congratulations. I'm hearing you say you took care of yourself because something was wrong in your relationship. And right. you're a martyr to it forever. Like that's beautiful. I'm inspired by it. Absolutely. Like that or sit and argue and knicker, you know, like badger with somebody for 45 fucking years. Cause here's the thing. I'm all about relationship. And that's my example with you and your friend, your friend. I wanted your friend to value relationship more where she was like, of course we work through this. We're going to be better because this you've let me down, Jess, you've pissed me off, but like, we're going to, we're going to learn from this. And I feel it same way about marriage where I want it to be about the people and the relationship and mental health, not a party, not a signature on a legal document. It's about the people. And part of being in a relationship is recognizing sometimes when you've outgrown it, or you've outgrown a person and that's a healthy marriage is like 10 years in, 
yeah. not everyone sadly grows in the same way in terms of compatibility and chemistry and is able to pull it off another 10. That's not bad or wrong. We've all been in many relationships. Just because you major as a marriage doesn't make it especially heinous when it ends. You know, all of us have been let down and disappointed and that's part of the process. What do you think for some people who sometimes, if you don't have self-awareness, you may not be aware enough to know that your relationship has become outgrown. What are there? Are there like signs that maybe people don't even realize are signs of a relationship that's maybe met its end? Oh, I love that question. I wish more people asked that because I think that's that should be the question, right? That's the work. So a couple of things I say is this scares people, but at least every year, at least sit down lovingly and say to your partner, what's this past year been like? Uh, being with Whoa. this relationship. What do we need to change? Do, should we continue on with this? And honestly confront and deal with what's going on so that maybe you can fix and save. Because what happens in my office and it's heartbreaking is where a couple comes in one of the partners has never shared how sad, angry, unhappy they are, thereby taking the choice away from their partner to be better, to be different, to work on it. And they turn to them and they're like, I got to leave this. And the other one's like, where's that coming from? And the other one's like, I've been unhappy for years. And I'm like, and you never told them? And look at the other one. You never asked? Like, we need to talk. So sit down every couple months or every year saying, how has this been? And really acknowledge that we don't need to keep doing this, but we can choose to. And what do we need to change? Also, if you're not happy, like it's communication. Say to your partner, I haven't been happy. Maybe I don't even know why, but can we talk about that? I was, I was, I said that to someone last year that I was dating. And I said, because <clears throat> I we I, I knew that I'm further along in this than most people, meaning like the bar's high for myself. I try to be better, call things out sooner. And I said, You don't seem happy, and I know you don't know me that well. It's only been a couple months. So I wanted to just like call it out. Are you unhappy? Is everything okay? And they were like, no, I've been miserable this past week. You've been very difficult to be around. And I was like, hard to hear, but thank you for telling me, like, share with me your experience. And I learned about myself. I was being a miserable bitch all week and I was taking it out on them. And I was like, thank you for, well, I brought the moment forward, but thank you for at least being honest enough in that moment to tell me. So I think we need to just talk. That's so like, I think that definitely is one of the biggest issues. People just sit and they don't say anything. I, it's such a consistent story that people are just sitting in their misery and not communicating. Why in your experience in all the years that you've, you know, been helping people and working, why do you think we have such a hard time communicating our feelings? Because you are very, I, I also think you're an important opinion on this because of your approach to life, your openness to love and your openness to expression, which is such a unique point of view to have. Cause you're not coming as like, I'm coming as a hardcore man. You're coming as like an open human being first. Okay. Well, you first, you just nailed the most important piece of all this, which is we have to get out of this shit about our, like our gender and all those things. We have all these different identities that we allow to limit and shrink us down. Like, well, as a man, it's important that I, you've already left truth and authenticity the minute you start thinking in those terms. And you've moved away from your authenticity. Because most likely anyone who's a man is going to do tons of things that aren't generally assigned with being a man and same thing for a female. But like we limit and police those boundaries very powerfully. So that's one of the first things I'd say is things like that. I work so hard with people to get outside of their gender for the kind of sex they want to have, the kind of relationship they want to have, the kind of life they want to lead. It is so powerful when I'm working with someone who's male identified and they're finally able to fucking cry or say to their partner, I don't like my job, I want to leave, or I feel weak, or I'm tired, or all these different pieces. And so I don't want to make it <clears throat> so male-centered, but as the example, um, yeah, or they want to have certain kinds of sexual experiences and what will my wife, girlfriend, or friends think? Like all these things to limit us. That's part of it. People are hung up in what they think it needs to be. Second to that is we're caught up in things like we were talking about earlier about respectability politics um, and professionalism. And those things show up where we'd rather lie to keep things peaceful than to be honest and disrupt. Kind of like my... Most couples would rather not have that difficult talk of what's this past year been like? Should we keep doing this? What do we need to change? They'd rather just plug along. It's kind of like when I ask some couples I work with for the first time, oh, you guys are married? Are you monogamous? Even that question 
freaks them out because I'm holding space for the possibility that maybe they aren't. And then they go, yes. And I say, have you talked about what that means? 99.99 I go, no, but they know better. And I go, well, then you are leaving group, gray areas, loopholes. Why have you never said this is what I would, because we're afraid of closeness and vulnerability. Like Jesse, have you or a partner of yours ever said, let's be monogamous and here's what we're going to define as monogamy? No. No, I've always just assumed it's like this thing Okay, that well, just why? has a set of rules. Why? Because we assume guys are going to do what they're supposed to do. Monogamy is what it's supposed to be. No one drops into like the vulnerability or the truth or these difficult questions. So I, I feel like that's in there. Um, it, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the core is we want to, we want to, our culture is so rooted in conformity. Look like everyone sound like them, be like them. And I feel like that's, that's part of like that large oppressive umbrella. I think that definitely is a huge issue because the culture is so rooted in conformity and conformity is such a, uh, is it is an aspect in survival. So it's like we struggle in this realm of wanting to belong, but in our pursuit of belonging, we forfeit and sacrifice our true essence in fear of what, how we appear. That's right. Beautifully said. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, we need it for safety. We need collectivity. We need community. We need forged relationships. But we abandon our truth in service of that. And think of how many identities a lot of us are walking through the world with. So there's some people that are thinking, okay, I'm a woman, so I want to be seen as a woman, whatever that means, feminine or wife-like material. Then maybe they're a mom. So now I'm also a mom. So I got to be careful what I wear, say, and do because I'm a mom now and I want to be seen as like a good mom. Oh, yeah. I have to be a good wife, a good woman, and a good mom. And maybe I'm also a lawyer. So now I got to be really careful what I post and say because it's also coming from a lawyer. And if I want to be seen as competent as a lawyer, that's in there too. How many threads is that? Now we have to add in, is she black? So now she's black. So she has to be very thoughtful because she doesn't want to get stereotyped or have bias against her coming from someone who's black, who's disempowered in our culture already. So it's like, there are so many pieces. Is she fat and larger bodied? Okay, well, larger bodies aren't allowed to occupy space or feel good about what they're eating or celebrate joy. They're supposed to hide and shrink. So it's like all of those pieces are what this person's up against, trying to be a human being out in the world. And just trying to find uh, amongst all of that, working so hard, doing all these things, your pursuit of being a good mom and a lawyer is exhaustive. And we get back to that conversation that we had in the beginning where it's like, where is there time for stillness in all of that? That's right. And that's why it's so radical though. When that person says, I'm going to take Sunday and turn my phone off and watch the show I want to watch, eat the ice cream I enjoy eating and just have soothing, fun, calm time that has nothing to do with anything. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. Can I tell you when I've told certain employers on projects, because I run my own private practice, but I've done some TV shows. I have books published. I have a radio show. I do a live streaming show. I'm director of education for mental health training program. So I am involved in different systems where I have people above me. I'll use that works. I don't believe in bosses. I believe in parallel power. No one tells me what to do. I always get to choose what I want. And again, that's coming from my white male privilege as well. But- <laughs> Um, But my point being is that um, there's been moments where I felt that pressure from these quote unquote people above me to make sure I'm giving them what's expected as a teacher, as a mental health professional, as a, and it limits and it limits and it limits. And so when I'm able to say to them, please don't reach out this weekend, I'm sending, I'm spending this entire weekend, like doing self-care, their minds are blown. Because in their head, it's like, no, it's all about being a hard worker. And the more you work, the harder you work. And like I say to my, whenever I have employees, I always say to them a couple of things. Number one, I'm not your boss. Let's all just speak to each other the same way. I don't want any fear, anxiety around this. Just come to me. I'll come to me. We have issues. I also say to them, please focus on downtime, self-care. Like if you need a day off, you can say to me, nothing short of, I really can't work today. I'm having a rough day and you get the day off. I don't want people to have to beg or convince me that they needed the time off. If they needed it bad enough to ask for it, I'm going to give it to them. Yeah. Or they'll have to lie about it. That's right. But and, want- and tuck it down. 100%. People ask me for doctor's notes and it hurts my soul that again, if they went in with a cast, every accommodation would be made. But when they're struggling with addiction or drugs and alcohol or grief and loss or depression or anxiety, I have to write a letter to legitimize what they're going through. And even then it often won't get any support. So you speak about the, you know, 
the ailments in society, like the tangible ones, like losing a leg, it's apparent with a cast. Right. Other than retreating and um, becoming reclusive, what is the the mental cast that maybe people can recognize for someone in their family, a friend that maybe they have? Like, what is that that teller, that sign that maybe somebody could become privy to? Yeah. So here's the thing. Most mental illness is invisible. Most mental illness is invisible illness. And so it really requires comfort on the part of the sufferer to be willing to share. But that only happens in environments where it's safe to share and it's taken seriously. And those on the other side can ask. And that's why my, my, my streaming show, I'm listening, stay connected. The first thing I ask everyone, and I asked you this when you were a guest was how's your mental health? Because I want to get us comfortable and familiar asking that question and really hearing an honest answer. So if you say to someone, how are you? We're too familiar with that to know what that means, right? Should I lie? Do I really want to tell them? But if you say to someone, Hey, how's your mental health right now? Or how's your mental health this week? That's a different question. And that will pause someone. It will. It, it paused me. <laughs> That's right. You put that cocktail down to answer. <laughs> you said, hold on. Put my drink down. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. D's coming at me right now. <laughs> But that's what I want people to do is I think there's a loving space to say, how's your mental health this week? Either because you've seen something that feels off or because you just want to get comfortable and familiar doing that. Yeah, I think that is such an important aspect to what you do is is not only your, I don't even want to say your image because I you are somebody whose image is your essence, but it's your image and your message are so important to the destigmatizing the de-stigmatizing of the language and society surrounding mental health. You know, you're like, you're like a, a mental health superhero. Yeah, it, it's hard um, because there's so many things to dismantle and to target. It's hard to try to feel like you're doing all you can do. I find it very important for me to utilize every position of power, every platform, every level of privilege that I have in service of this. It's also really hard because there's a lot of people that are in the way. There's a lot of people in my field that are literally in the way. And what I mean by that is their work is a hot mess. <laughs> Antiquated. Yeah. I mean, I, I say this very lovingly and I want to try to say this not as a way to shame people, but as a way to get some of the people in my industry and other industries to wake up. Um, and I'm talking right now about mental health people because I'm holding them really accountable because their job is literally, is literally mental health, right? <laughs> so like, I'm only holding you accountable to the one core thing that literally I know you do sign up for, which is pay attention to the shit you're putting on your social media. Like I see some of these therapists and I'm looking at their posts and I'm going, you are literally reinforcing and engaging some of these levels of oppression that we're supposed to be solving and resolving. So like either get in on that or get the hell out of the way. Um, I wish therapists were far more political. I think that you can't pull politics out of mental health and therapy. Like, as we said earlier, how can you pull someone's blackness out of their depression? How can you pull someone's drug addiction out of their LGBTQIA identity and our homophobic, transphobic culture? You, you cannot. And we can't just think we're going to fix them for an hour in our office and then send them back out into this fucked up world for the rest of the week and think that what we did was enough. It's a little band-aid, right? So I call upon them to do more. I want us all to do more. But there's a lot of therapists that sadly are in the way. And so thank you for saying that. Like I'm trying really hard to be one of those people, but it's hard. You, you are definitely one of those people. And, and I can't imagine how hard it is. So to speak to that stillness, what is someone like you, like what are some of your favorite go-to um, tools to find stillness? Yeah. <clears throat> that word is really hard for me because I naturally run very uh, a little low manic, hypomanic. I'm very ADHD. I don't I don't believe in those things, but if those things were real, I would meet the criteria. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, those are just my strengths and the beauty of who I am. <laughs> I, I try to. So for me, those words are very difficult. So what I do is what I use with my clients, which is I have to focus a lot on transitions. I cannot go from my go 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 to all of a sudden I'm supposed to be in stillness. I need to transition in. And for someone like me, it's kind of like, you know, uh, winding the car down. You can't just pull into the garage at 80 miles an hour, slam on the brakes and get out. Like you have to like, you know, you turn off the headlights, you turn off the music, you fix the seat, you slow down, you get out of the car. So when I come home from these different things, I have different rituals where when I leave the my office, <clears throat> I come home and I shower and I change my clothes and I slowly ease my way in. And now that I'm working from home, 
I try to still have my transitions, but more importantly, I try to separate. Like work happens over there, stillness happens over here, so that when I enter the space, it feels still and not triggering because I wasn't sitting there doing any difficult work. And I really, more importantly though, to answer this, is I let myself be where I'm at. I don't force myself. That's why I don't do yoga. Mm. It's great. But for me, that's forcing my body and my mind and my energy level into a state that I'm not actually, that I'm not wanting, ready for, prepared for, or that feels soothing. It feels very controlled. It feels very body negative. I'm forcing my body into these states and positions. So I honor where I'm at. So I will be the guy if I wind up at an event like a yoga meditation thing, sometimes getting up a lot, walking around the back, standing up, because I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be real, I'm going to be body positive and honor what my body and energy levels need. I'm mentally centered. My mental health might need more movement than other people need. So I allow myself to be where I'm at. That's such an important place because I feel the same where it's like I'm going and I need that transition in some of these, you know, you got to get, well, you need to work out to like be calm later and all these, you know, different tools sometimes don't work for me because I also need to like downgrade at my own pace. And, and sometimes I just, maybe it's just walking around or cleaning. Woo! Cleaning is like one of the greatest things because it can either like help me deal with my mental anxiety because there's so much going on that I'm focused or, you know, I get a little stoned, put on some Erica Badu and I'm buffing the countertops like an hour. It, it was clean 45 minutes ago, but I'm just enjoying my moment. <laughs> no, I, but you're, you're, you're really giving a powerful tool, which is don't think in such a binary. People think it's either activity or I'm like literally sitting in a meditative Lotus position. And it's like, Oh no, <laughs> so many things in between there, like what you're doing, where there's something very meditative for you in that state. And you bring in all the senses you use plant medicine, or maybe you just want to call it weed and say, it's not about medicinal. It's just about absolutely medicine. Beautiful too. But you bring in that you bring in sound and this is corny and I'm not woo woo, but again, it works for me. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, grapefruit oil. I rub it on my hands and smell it. It is very, it awakens me. It like grounds me. I am going on Amazon immediately. (laughs) It's the grapefruit oil. It brings joy and it really does. I rub it in my hands, a couple drops, smell it. And it like wakens me. Um, I put on my music and the cleaning works for me. Sometimes I just like do loops around my condo. (laughs) Where are you off to? Absolutely nowhere. Around. Like I just needed to move my body, but also I want to throw in there because I also am a certified sex therapist that sex and masturbation are also beautiful things that are meditative, soothing, nourishing, self-care based. So someone might not be wanting to force their body into complete stillness. They might not be ready for a nap or reading, but go masturbate. Like that's really powerful on many levels for your body. So I want to hold space for that too. Yeah, absolutely. Masturbation is it, oddly underrated. It is. Especially just when it's just you. And I've had this conversation before and I'm a firm believer, but also it takes practice for myself that um, women should not rely upon, I have to speak from a woman's perspective because that's how I identify. Women should not rely upon a vibrator so much. Do you believe that or is there? Wait, wait, say more. Meaning instead they should rely on themselves. Yes, instead they should, I think, be in tuned with their body and their hands and, and find a way to have an orgasm without any tools once in a while to mix it up. I think it's funny. You bring me, you're bringing me your, this is great today. You're bringing me to a lot of interesting places. This is, this is like an interesting crossroads for me. So, um, as a therapist, I'm all about growth and transformation. So if anyone tells me I only or I always, I'm always, I'm immediately, I'm like, great, let's learn new skills and more ways of being. So yes, if someone said to me, I only have sex this one way, sex to me is only dot, 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 I can only orgasm, blah, blah, blah. Right. Let's do this then. Let's add 15 more other ways to this. And that goes in all directions where I love the idea of someone maybe being just with themselves, just with their body, one hand stimulating one area, their other hand somewhere else, lost in the touch and the experience, not utilizing porn or a vibrator or anything that's stunning. But for people that are like, yeah, I want to amp that shit up and I want to add (laughs) Amp that shit up. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that too. It's kind of like, 
I, I love ice cream, I non-dairy ice cream because I'm vegan, but sometimes I want to throw some Oreos on top. Oreos are yeah. I want to amp it up. Like, and again, this goes back to like our fear of pleasure. Why why can't I put- I want some butt fuck chocolate chip cookie dough. Yeah, why can't I go all in? What are you all so afraid about? Like, good look, congrats on your abs, but I know I'm old enough and been around long enough to know that's going to get me nowhere with, with nothing. And what will be meaningful <laughs> is me just making decisions about what feels good to me. Like that's more radical and revolutionary. I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And the other thing that comes up a lot, um, which I actually had a conversation with, you know, Jason Ellis. Yes. He, he speaks a lot about his openness. And I think he's also such an important figure in that sense, because he, his identification isn't rooted in one label. He's recently figured out what works for him and what makes him feel good. And he's being vocal about that. You know, somebody who's in, a, you know, a fighter's body and does all of these, quote unquote, what society has stated as being heterosexual. Wrestler. Yeah, he's like a fighter, wrestler, boxer, skateboarder. He came out as bi? I can't remember. Yeah, he, he said he identifies as bisexual like only a couple years ago. And he's, you know, a grown man. Think about that. So he had to come from homophobic America. Then that fighting culture. I mean, the little bit I know about that world. Talk about toxic masculinity. and Yes. So like he had to come through that. I mean, he has to go up against his hetero partners that sometimes feel betrayed by such a disclosure. So I, I'm proud of him. I mean, this year has been stunning. I've had so many friends in 2019 and 2020 come out as queer, fluid, non-binary i mean some of these ultra masculine hetero guys uh one of them a couple days ago that's like i've come out as non-binary like i don't i don't subscribe to any gender and like this hyper masculine butch hetero guy saying that i was like wow oh my god inspired (laughs) that was so powerful to see you do that i'm proud of all you had to push through to get there yeah it's a big statement especially in this society and to that point you know what what would you like to say to men that are listening who are, who do identify as straight, who, who do feel they are, you know, a stereotypical American man where, you know, it's like I eat meat and potatoes type of dude, but they also are realizing that they might like some toys up their butt. They might like to maybe, you know, it, it, not necessarily they feel that they're gay, but they feel like they want to expand their sexuality, but they think that's gay because they don't understand the spectrum. Yeah, that comes in my practice a lot, right? So my practice is a lot of couples or individuals that are dealing with marital struggles, sexual struggles. They think that they have an addiction or, or you know, straight guys like that that are saying like, hey, I want to, I might, some of them, what's fascinating is some of them, they're like, that's the longer term goal maybe. I want to unpack everything that is in the way of me even being able to go home tonight and stimulate myself anally. They're like all the emotionality. There's so much to unpack. Their social group needs to be a man in our culture. They wind up finding out is that journey isn't just about, you know, anal stimulation, anal play. That journey winds up being about them just becoming more honest in general. It's about them um, just centering pleasure and honesty, them working on building deeper intimacy by saying to their girlfriend, I know this might be hard for you to hear. I love it if every now and then you use your finger on an area that's usually not designated as a place for a straight man. Like so they're, they, they work on the ability to now be more emotional and cry because you know, in our culture, these pieces that you just brought up in your question are so deep that if we can do that deeper work, it all these other pieces are so much easier to tackle. And so I'd say to that guy, oh my God, you're about to undertake maybe one of the most transformative things ever because it's a big constellation of things connected to that anxiety. And I'd also say to him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that you are victimized by a world we've all constructed where you even have to feel bad about something as fucking stupid as what you want to do with your girlfriend or wife. In your own body. Yeah, man. Anything a heterosexual person does is fucking heterosexual sex. Why? Because a hetero person did it. Right. Yeah. Who cares where it goes? It it doesn't change your... Your identity is your identity. That's right. But it's such a stronghold that it, and it leaks out into other areas. What does that then mean for me as a father or a husband? And it's right. Like, God, it's so big. And that's why it's such a huge thing. And that's why I said this at a lecture and they were all like God smacked. I said, as soon as all cis hetero dudes are comfortable hearing or engaging in anal play, when that happens, 
I'm retiring because the work is done. Because the radical moment when straight guys can be like, yeah, my girl puts her finger up my butt. Like we have had radical change because that same guy that can do that probably can also give his little boy a hug saying, daddy loves you. He probably can also cry in front of his wife. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things tied to that that I feel like that should be everyone's so we can all do that. Yeah, I think that that is, you know, that's one of my own personal uh, endeavors in my standup, which is so, it, it's so funny. Like people that I've had on this podcast, there's always, it's people that I know um, that I've met and there's usually a synchronicity. Like, I, you know, I had you on y- years ago and I, I immediately felt like a connection to you because you're so open and I'm, I'm a similar person. Um, but in my standup, I have a joke where I talk about men and their butts. And I try, I literally, because as a performer, and I'm sure you feel this when you're doing um, speeches and you're speaking in front of an audience, they can feel so tight. And to get them loose, you know, sometimes you have to like crack it open hard. The irony of that, like sometimes you need to like ease into them and let the audience relax, but sometimes you just got to hit them straight. And so I'll do it either if the audience is like tighter or sometimes like in the middle of the set when they're already loose, I'll just look at the guy and I'd be like, do you like stuff in your butt? And it makes everybody laugh. So everybody chills. That's right. But then I get into it more where it's like, Hey, break away all the titles you have. Don't worry about what you think someone's going to think about you. Put stuff. I have the whole room singing, put stuff in your butt and everyone's like clapping and singing it. And I can't tell you, Dr. D, how many times after the shows I've done that, that women, wives, husbands message me and just say, thank you. Cause you literally started a conversation between us. You're not, not, okay. But you also went to like the core. The butt. (laughs) I'm telling you, but Jesse, everyone's butt. Like if you ask most people, when's the last time you touched your, you literally touched your anus. Some people will say, ooh, never. Or some people might say accidentally the other day, or they'll say maybe in the shower, but it's the rare person that's like, well, sure. Of course I've touched it because unlike because it's like every other body part. Like we have such a fear of anal, but also especially with guys. But more importantly, I think what you are talking about is very powerful where you're at least getting people comfortable hearing about it, imagining it, considering it, talking about it. Because some of those couples on the way home, one of them might've been like, so babe, I, I know we were all laughing and Jesse May was just being funny, but like, what do you really think about that? And then she might be like, well, you know, I've never really thought about it. It's kind of weird. I don't know. But why are you into that? And you might be like, I don't know. Like, would you be down to try it? She might be like, well, yeah. Like you might have literally saved some people's sexualities, Jesse May. <laughs> it feels amazing. Like, I, and I have so much fun doing it because I know that somewhere in there, like you say, like maybe I made a difference in one or two relationships, you know? Or it goes the other way. Like <laughs> where one of them turns the other and they're like, babe, don't even <laughs> happen and no ideas. I mean, here's the one thing I want to swoop in. Let me be therapist for one yes. second to say this, that when someone makes a vulnerable and bold expression of who they are, please see it as an act of care and love in a very vulnerable moment. And don't shame your partner for turning to you and saying that. So I want your listeners to know that like we're one of their partners one day to be like, hey, I wanted to tell you something I'm into sexually. I want to try first, even if you're so grossed out, make your first response. Thanks, man. Like, thanks for caring enough about me or us for, for being that vulnerable and sharing that part with yourself. However, nothing I'm interested in trying, or, you know, that makes me feel uncomfortable, but like, thank you for sharing. Like, I want there to be more thank yous so people can practice and try revealing themselves. So I want your comedy to lead people to being willing to maybe have that conversation. And I want the people having those conversations, even if grossed out to always say to their partner, thank you for sharing. I think that's a great point. The gratitude to be um, the gratitude of someone expressing their vulnerability is a gift. Yes. There's nothing bad about that. Regardless of what the outcome is, we should all be a little bit more grateful for people exposing their truth in this society where it's so hard to do so, where so many people are demonized because of how they are in real life. So I think that's a great point. Um, I have some questions from fans. Love it. (laughs) Uh, this is from bitch Christ. (laughs) We're starting off. It's going to be good. I can tell (laughs) the bar is high with a name like that. Come on, bitch. (laughs) Bitch Christ. He's, um, 
he's on my, I do weeds day every Wednesday where I raise money for Alzheimer's and he donated a lot a couple weeks ago. So I, it's actually bit eight bit Christ, but I read it as bitch Christ. Now everyone calls him bitch Christ. <laughs> he asks which tattoo hurt the most. Oh, I haven't gotten, I don't get asked about that that much. So I, I like that question a lot. Um, honestly, it's the one it's, it's both. I have two tattoos in, in what they call the ditch, which is the bendy area. What do you call it? What would you call this area? It's off camera. This I don't know. I never even knew. Oh, the ditch. I never even considered that body part. In the tattoo world, it's often called the ditch. So when you bend your elbow, it's the inside bendy part. That's very soft. So getting that area tattooed was quite gnarly. And it was more about the healing process than the tattooing, because when it's healing, you can't fully extend it or fully close it. Cause that'll rip the, um, the, uh, the, what do you call it? The art, like the, t the ink. No, the, uh, scabbing, which, Oh yeah. Which you'll get a scar on. It'll ruin your tattoo. So that was probably, I think the most difficult. Yeah. I never even thought about getting a tattoo there. Like I, th for some reason, I, I like, I know people get elbow tattoos. When you're 26, you know, you know, it's like, it's what you do. Oh, my back is covered and my back is covered. Uh, James and, and I'm a terrible reader. I'm a smart girl, but I can't read for shit. James, the land James in the land of Lisa Koski's. He says, Oh, it's a good question. How do I get over someone I saw myself marrying and having children with? Oh, it's hard because he just, he framed the question beautifully, which is how do I, I've lost the person and now I also have to lose this fantasy that I've held on to. So it's like a double loss, right? Because we construct narratives about us and this person. So we have to mourn the loss of them and also mourn the loss of what we thought we were moving towards and this like sense of safety and this vision. It's really difficult. Heartbreak is one of the more difficult things for us to work with clinically because it's a very natural, understandable process where the harder, the, the more it hurts, that's more of a sign of how attached you were psychologically, physically. Um, our brains are actually um, social organs, our brains wire, our nervous systems wire with someone when we're fully attached. And what attachment means and looks like is, is like another conversation, but we fully really attach with someone. That's what happens. And so a breakup is a true breaking up where it's a neurological un, un, uh, undoing. We, we were co-regulating each other. We were attached. And so now separated only by skin, we have to undo all of that. We have to pull them out of our identity because they also were part of our social world. Uh, we have to go through the breakup multiple times because each person wants to understand what happens and bring us back to the trigger by saying, I'm sorry. It's such a huge experience. Got to get rid of all the cereal that they like in the fucking cabinets. Triggers everywhere. <laughs> Triggers everywhere. Everywhere. Songs. So my best advice is always, first off, allow it. Don't don't try to quiet it down, water it down. Just allow it. Something sad really happened and let your body go through its process. But help it along by making sure you're doing more than just physical separation. We tend to physically separate, but psychologically, we very much keep them present by talking about them a lot, going on their social media. That doesn't let that uncoupling happen. So focus on psychologically letting them exit as well, which means don't keep talking about them. Don't bring them up. Shut down conversations about them. It's not about us trying to pretend it never happened, but it's giving yourself some space to really mourn that loss. Um, um, but that's really it, man, hanging in there. But I also will throw in this one controversial final statement, which is... <laughs> I wouldn't be you if it weren't a little controversial. <laughs> it's actually not that bad, but <laughs> these words like rebounding and taking time to be single. If your goal is relationship and to be in one, it's okay to get right back out there because the studies actually show that the length of time between relationships doesn't speak to its success or the health. The person in them does. And so you can go from relationship to relationship. And for some people, the best way to get over it is to get right back out there and start dating. So they remind themselves that I am desirable. There are other options. Other fun can still exist while I'm mourning that loss. It's not to ignore it, but you can keep dating and kind of stay in the game a little bit. If you I love that. I think, see, that's why you're so progressive. It's it, you're, you're the anti textbook textbook voice on therapy. And yet y'all still listening to those <laughs> old school antiquated textbook people who are giving horrible advice. Like God bless it. Please unfollow them. It's so disappointing. <laughs> disappointing. Uh, okay. We'll do a couple more here. And, and, Andre Brittany B. Wow, girl, that's a lot, but I see you. I see that photo. Um, how? This is another good question. This is such a 
common question that I get from girls, because I should let you know um, that I do a thing called Dr. Peluso on, on my IG story every Monday. <laughs> and you're inspired to be the first doctor that I have on my podcast every Monday to correlate with that. Uh, it's Joe Rogan's fault when I did the, his podcast a couple years ago. So much is his fault. <laughs> so much is his fault. A lot, you know? <laughs> He called me a doctor and then I started, well, he inspired me. And so I put a disclaimer, I am not a real doctor and I answer people's questions. (laughs) Remember y'all, remember y'all, her studying came from books with the word fart in the title. (laughs) Yeah, there they are. There they are. Exactly. So remember who the doctor is. That's going to be the disclaimer. The disclaimer is everything I've read has the word farts in the title and, you know, move forward at your own risk, you know? Anyway, sorry. Continue. I can't. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I get this question so often. Um, and I've also been the one asking it in my past. Uh, Andrew Brittany, Andrew Brittany B. Uh, how do I get my boyfriend to initiate sex more and be more sexually flirty with me? See, okay, 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 full circle, for full circle moment. Where do you, okay, a thousand thoughts. Number one, please don't assume that because he's a hetero man that he's a top or an initiator. Ooh, whoa. Yeah, some, some, some straight guys are bottoms. And that, that Whoa! I gotta call that out immediately. A lot of people enter again in that gendered way, assuming I'm a girl, he's a guy. So I'm going to assume, and it's like, stop there. The minute you assume anything, especially based on what someone looks like or their gender, you're already, I say it's loving, you're already engaging in a form of emotional abuse where you're already starting to project assumptions on them and expectations. So first off, don't assume that he ever will. He might be a passive bottom and you need to initiate then. You might not be sexually compatible. Like I have to say that to couples, please don't think because you both think each other are hot and you're both dudes and gay or opposite gendered and straight that all's good. It doesn't work like that. So true sexual compatibility might not exist for you if your question is when will he because it's telling me he isn't. And my answer is he might never. And my answer is also he doesn't have to. And wow. his answer or defense would be, but he's the guy. And it's like, stop putting that on him. He's allowed to be a passive bottom who wants to have sex initiated with him. Look, I work with couples. <clears throat> Loving example. Say this with all love my heart. I'm thankful to be brought into <laughs> people's lives in the way I am. I would never openly discuss anything about them. But I'm going to give you a little really protected, anonymous, confidential case example. Couple came in. And the wife was saying the same thing. I want my husband to smack my ass, to grab me, to be a man. And I looked at him. And I looked at her and lovingly <laughs> together both looked back at him. And I was like, Kim? And he was laughing. So I knew he's with us. And I was like, he doesn't have that in him. Like, can we rule that out immediately? He's laughing. He's like, yeah, I'm just a gentle, sweet guy. And I was like, yes, please. please be aware of who you're with. Was he ever like that? And she was like, no. And I said, right. You know who he is sexually. So you should have assessed that or paid more attention to that. And he was lovingly also like, I'm cool with how things are. So she had to come to the work of, if I want sex a certain way, I need to initiate it and also mourn the loss of the fantasy she had of what it meant to be with him. Is it possible to that point that they can learn to, like the the bottom per se, can learn to be a little bit more of a top aggressor and vice versa? Or is that a delineation? It's both, right? So on one hand, I want people to be very confident in who they are authentically, but also, as we said earlier, I'm a therapist and I want to really challenge everyone to expand and have a full range of skills. And then you really can choose. When you can do everything, you can really choose what you like. So I do want everyone to have the ability. Yeah, I want everyone to have the ability to like initiate and to step into their sexual power. But some people might say it's not it's not as profound for me or as performative. And so it's not going to maybe feel the exact way you wanted it to feel because what's assertive or aggressive for one person might be different for someone else. Right. I don't know what the fantasy you have, but they're going to maybe be able to do it to, excuse me, the limit of who they actually are. So the question is like, what does assertive mean for him? Ooh. Right. And so I will work with people on that. But at the end of the day, we're a little more hardwired and stuck in where we are because there's so much that goes into that. Yeah, it's so it's like ancestral. It goes back to it's it's like epigenetics. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, we I would love to have a show where we just talk about epigenetics. <gasps> we should next time. I can doubt on that stuff, but you're you're nailing it. Which is like, how do they feel about their body? 
are, we have to be have a lot of body confidence to really initiate me with our sexuality. Um, let's use race for a second. Is he a person of color? In our culture, a lot of people of color really struggle to feel empowered in certain situations, especially maybe if they're with a partner that's white. Um, like there's so many different threads that weave into what our personality or sexual style will be. But the real lesson is have sex as soon as possible. Literally be able to assess what kind of chemistry and compatibility do we have, knowing that there's only a little bit of wiggle room around shifting some of that. And so pay attention. Yeah, that's that's a very um, Andrea Andrea girl. I'm just gonna call you Brittany B because there's a lot of consonants in that. You know, I love you. Um, if you love him, I'm gonna say from to add on to what Dr. D is saying. If you love him, um, maybe take some time to learn how to initiate something that works for him. You know, I also feel like a lot of sex and relationship it's so much about what can i get from this person how can i get what i need and i have found in my maturity a love for giving and i have found a purpose in giving more and in giving more and being more vulnerable with my truth and my essence i get so much more out of all of my relationships not just the one i'm in in a you know a like a intimate relationship it helps me it permeates out through my life so maybe challenge yourself a little I love that because what I'm going to add to what you just said, because I think you can take what you just said a step further. And I would say land it with, we often want it done our way. Try doing it his way. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, we're going to do one more. And then I do this thing with all of my guests that I'm going to ask of you as well. Um, Miss Chris, Christine, God, I'm sorry, mom, public school failed me. Miss Chris, Kristen, Christine Rose. Wow. That wasn't that hard. Um, this is a great question to end the question segment on. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. Speaking yeah, of sex. Literally just like at Tina and you were like struggling. Tina, Tina. It's like the key and peel sketch. A.A. Ron. A.A. Ron. Aaron? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> she asks, Kristen Rose, Jesus, how much sex is too much? Oh, um, if you have the time and the energy for it, then it ain't too much. Woo! Yeah, because we literally, we, you know, it's like food. We have such a messed up relationship in our culture to food and sex. We don't have a healthy model for for allowing people to just enjoy themselves. And so it, usually the answer is I'm uncomfortable with the amount of sex someone else is having. So Dr. Chris, give me a way to shame them for it so I can make them stop doing what they're doing because I'm uncomfortable. And it's like, let them live their life because if they're having that much sex, they clearly have the time and energy for it. So mind your biz. You know, what I mean? mind your biz. Work on your sex negativity and anxiety around someone else's sex life. <laughs> we covered so so much. Like you are uh, a wealth of information, and I feel like we're gonna have to do an epigenetics episode because I geek out on that shit too. And when, you, and when we do it, you have to wear like a doctor's lab coat or something. <laughs> need one i need one and i need just like a stethoscope or some i don't one of these you need one of those and a microscope even though we're never going to use it you need to just have it out to inspire okay we are going to do that i'm going to order my grapefruit oil and my fucking you'll have things bubbling in the back for no reason (laughs) god bless that epigenetics episode gonna be a mess it's gonna be great i'm definitely gonna have it have you back on um i've been asking all my friends and guests to give my listeners three ways to thrive not survive to thrive in quarantine oh that's beautiful to thrive number one center rest and pleasure bulk of your time centered in rest and pleasure please stop worrying about what you're doing what you're not doing what everyone else is doing don't feel bad that the person you are literally quarantining next to is writing a book or whatever they're doing rest and pleasure is your best friend come out of this looking back knowing you healed so that's the first thing number two connect with people because it might not even be about your needs but other people might be on their own and they're alone i'm working with a lot of clients that are very lonely and they're reaching out to people people that maybe they're not that familiar or close with so if someone out of your past or someone you don't know that well reaches out, give them some time and care. They might be reaching out as a lifeline because they have not seen or been touched by wow. for months. So reach out to people, check in on them, make yourself available. So that's the second one. Like it's that double thing. Ask people how they're doing. I'm che- I'm blowing up my phone, checking in on people, honoring those that respond, those that don't, taking calls from some strange people I haven't heard from in years, but clearly it's coming from a place of needing to connect. I'm glad that they reached out. So that would be the second one. And the third one is like move. 
Yes. Move, move. Go outside, go for a walk, do what I do, just do loops around the plane. <laughs> move it. Ma- masturbate, that counts as movement. <laughs> you are so amazing. I, I love watching what you're doing, and I'm such a huge advocate for your voice and, and the way you teach and inspire people. Tell my friends where they can learn more and be inspired by you. Where can they find you? Yes. So my book, uh, two books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines, all of that is about living authentically. It's not just about sex. You can go on my IG, which is at uh, Dr. Donahue, right? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, my website is uh, drchrisdonahue.com. You are a fucking gem. You're a gem. You're progressive. You're so considerate. And you're, you're a colorful therapist. And I, I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. D. And I'll hit you up for the epigenetics episode. Please. All right. Survive. Be well. <laughs> Once my jacket comes in, I'll text you. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.